After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 47 to stanzas 3, 6, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, at this time of the year, especially in the midst of this cold weather, we look forward to spring, when the grass will be green again, when the flowers will pop out of the ground and the leaves open up on the trees. Especially the avid gardeners among us look forward to the growing season, and getting into their garden. They love to get their hands dirty and feel the soil and breathe the outside air. Others who are not such avid gardeners or who do not have a garden of their own look forward to the enjoyment of the garden of others. As we heard this morning, it is wonderful for us to be able to enjoy God's creation. He gave it all for our enjoyment. He alone made it all possible. Without him, nothing could grow. He created the seed-bearing plants and all vegetation. He makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall. And he is the one who makes the grass to grow and the flowers to bloom. He is the great designer, the great architect behind it all. The author of the Song of Songs and observed the same thing. He wrote, See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig trees forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. He is delighted that spring has sprung. He, too, wants to enjoy the beautiful gardens of the earth. But there is one garden in which he especially delights. He delights in his bride, whom he compares to a garden or to a vineyard. What we find here in the Song of Songs brings us back to the time of paradise. God created the beautiful garden of Eden. And he put Adam and Eve in the midst of it. Adam and Eve also found great delight in God's garden. But Adam delighted in his wife Eve even more than he delighted in God's garden. Listen to the delight that he expressed after God brought his bride to Adam. He said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Another translation says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's a cry of triumph, of utter amazement, of great joy. Because of sin, the beauty of the Garden of Eden became marred by sin. The same thing is true of the beautiful and delightful relationship between a man and a woman. Things are different now. In paradise, it took no effort or pain to maintain the garden. The same thing was true of the relationship of Adam and Eve. Whereas before the fall, they were in a harmonious relationship. After the fall, that's no longer the case. Yet, there is still a lot of beauty to be enjoyed. But now we have to work at it. God puts us to work. 
We have to work hard in order to keep our gardens beautiful. We have to plant and we have to weed and we have to till the soil. And the same thing is true of marriage. You can only have a good marriage if you work hard at it. This afternoon we are dealing with the beauty of God's creation as it applies to marriage and also as it applies to sex, which belongs to marriage. The Lord God brought man and woman together, and God instituted something beautiful, delightful. But because of sin, marriage, just like a garden, is also very fragile. You have to be careful. You have to prepare a garden properly and plan it out. And a marriage is just like that. You young people who are preparing yourselves for marriage, you have to carefully prepare. If you want to enjoy a beautiful garden, then you have to lay the groundwork first. It's these things that I will preach to you about this afternoon. I will preach to you about the beauty of marriage and sex. And then we will see that marriage and sex are like a garden in the first place to be enjoyed, in the second place to protect And finally, to maintain. I will state that once again. I will preach to you about the beauty of marriage and sex. And then we will see that marriage and sex are like a garden in the first place to be enjoyed, in the second place to protect, and then thirdly, to maintain. As I said, sin has done much to mar the beauty of the relationship between a husband and a wife. To a marriage belongs physical union, sexual act. Human sexuality is a wonderful gift of God to man. Through the physical union, a man and a woman can feel loved and appreciated. They can enjoy each other's presence and closeness. And because it is a gift of God, you have to honor and appreciate that gift. As the Catechism says, we must keep ourselves pure and holy. The author of the letter to the Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 4, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I do not have to tell you that this world is obsessed with sex. Just look around you. The advertisers are keenly aware of how men's heads are turned when they see a pretty woman. And so they will use scantily dressed women in order to sell their wares. And if you want to promote a movie or a book, then you will increase your audience or your readership greatly if you add sex to the mix. Sex is also an often a popular theme in music. The Internet is one of the greatest media nowadays where the gift of sex is exploited to the fullest. Pornography is available at the click of a mouse. It's enough to turn your stomach. And so it is a topic we, as Christians who want to keep ourselves pure, would rather not discuss or talk about. However, The Lord God does. He does that already in the very first pages of the Bible. He does that when he tells us about the creation of a man and a woman and that they will be one flesh, referring to the sexual union between a man and a woman. 
We also have a whole book that deals with this topic, namely the book called The Song of Songs. In Dutch it is called Hooglied, meaning the highest song. It is an apt title, for it sings a song about one of the most beautiful gifts of God to man, namely the gift of sex. God does not want us to shove the topic under the table. He does not want us to avoid it. On the contrary, he wants us to fully enjoy that gift. And that is why the Song of Songs is also in the Bible. This song is about two young people in love. Many people, however, stay away from this book of the Bible because they do not quite know what to do with it. For love is described in this book in a most intimate way. In chapter 8, the words are spoken by a woman, a woman deeply in love. She portrays the beauty and delights of love and speaks about it in poetic language using sensuous images. And she does that also in chapter 2 and in chapter 4 that we read together. And it's apparent that this young woman had little time to look after her own appearance. That is clear from chapter 1, verse 6. There it says, do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. When she speaks here of her vineyard, she does not refer to her own plot of land somewhere. No, then she is referring to herself. It's also clear from chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, where again the reference is made to a vineyard. There her former fiancé, who at this point in the book, in chapter 8, is now her husband, is speaking. He says, Solomon had a vineyard in Baal, Ammon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. Her husband is not trying to compare this little plot of land to the glory of Solomon. No, the vineyard that he speaks about here is his new bride. He says, in effect, Solomon may have his splendor and glory and his thousand wives, but I have my own happiness. I have my own vineyard, namely that beautiful country girl. For despite the hard labor that she has had to perform, she is still a very attractive and beautiful girl. He considers himself richer than Solomon himself with all his glory. She may be poor, but she is his. She is his vineyard. From the foregoing, it becomes already somewhat clear who her husband is. Her husband, her lover, is also a country boy, a lowly shepherd. Some, however, will disagree with that assessment. They will say that it is Solomon himself speaking. According to them, this song is about Solomon who wants to lure a beautiful girl away from her simple country existence. However, do you really think that the Lord God would use Solomon as an example of the purity of the love between a man and a woman? For consider what kind of man Solomon was. Although he was a very wise man, he was not prudent in his choice of women. The Lord God was also angry with him, especially because of his love life. He had a thousand women, and they became his downfall. They made him turn to other gods. And as a result, God's anger burned against him. 
and his punishment was that after his death, Israel would be torn in two. And so the Lord God would not use the love affair of such a man as an example of pure marriage before the Lord. You may say, what about the title then of the book? In most translations, this book is known as the Song of Songs of Solomon. But careful reading of the title in the original shows that this book is not meant to be seen as a book of Solomon, but about Solomon. The Hebrew title in reality says the Song of Songs, which is about Solomon. The love story, however, is about two ordinary young people. Throughout the whole book, except towards the end, they are not yet married. And so this song speaks not only to married couples in our midst, but especially to you young people. And note well that these unmarried young people have sexual feelings for each other. And therefore, as such, sexual feelings are not wrong. God created you with sexual feelings. The Lord God does not say to you that you cannot be sexually aroused. And so, don't be ashamed of your sexual feelings. Sin against the seventh commandment has to do not with sexual feelings, but with lust. It has to do with unchastity. It has to do with the wrong use of your sexual feelings. The way you think and the way you act as a result of them. And that is why the Catechism also says that God forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, and desires, and whatever else may entice you to unchastity. The Lord God wants to protect you from serious harm. We come to the second point. The young lover says to his beloved in chapter 4, verse 12, You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed a sealed fountain. The young man recognizes that before marriage he cannot give expression to his sexual feelings. His beloved is locked up like a garden. He is not allowed to pluck the fruit of the garden. He has to wait. Why? Oh, sure, forbidden fruit tastes delicious. But it is pleasurable only for the moment. And there is a strong warning here to the young people and to all of us. To the young people, the Lord God is saying that you should wait before marriage. You should wait for marriage before you can pluck the fruit of your garden. It is a statistical fact that those who engage in sex before marriage have less stable relationships than those who do not. Do you know why that is? There are many reasons, but one of the main reasons is that then trust is gone. If you do not respect the marriage vows before marriage, then why would you respect them during marriage? Why would you trust each other? And also a very important point, if you cannot control yourself before marriage, how will you do that within marriage? The Lord God teaches us that we must be in control of our passions and emotions. We are not like animals who act on instinct, 
That is what the world thinks. They think that you cannot help yourself. Well, God thinks otherwise. He gives you his Holy Spirit to strengthen you and to teach you otherwise. And he teaches us to stay within the boundaries of his laws. And when you transgress his boundaries with impunity, then Satan has found your weakness. He knows how to exploit it. He knows how to exploit the beautiful gift of sexuality that God has given to you. And he will find ways to make you fall. He's got you where he wants you. He will have you think about and act out unlawful sexual activity. And when that goes unchecked, then it will be like a cancer within you. You young people, listen to the Lord your God. Keep yourselves pure until marriage. Married couples, you too, listen carefully. Don't eat of the forbidden fruit. Don't get caught up in pornography. And don't look outside of marriage for someone to delight in or to enjoy. God has given you to each other. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not covet your neighbor's husband. He or she does not belong to you. You belong to each other. In chapter 2, verse 15, the bride says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Do you know who those foxes are? Those are other young men who are trying to catch her, who see her as a good catch. She tells her husband to be, keep them away. Don't let others disturb the love that we have for each other. As you know, in the summer, we have a beautiful garden next door by the manse beside the church. There are many flowers in it. This garden is carefully cultivated. My wife spends at least a whole day every week in it. She enjoys it. And she also enjoys it when others can enjoy the garden. But don't come into her garden and begin picking her flowers. Don't go digging up her plants or her vegetables either. They don't belong to you. You have no business doing that. The same thing is true of marriage. Don't pluck the fruits that don't belong to you. When you are married, don't lust for another partner. And when you are unmarried, don't lust for flowers that are not yet ripe to pluck. Wait. You do a lot more damage than good when you sin against the seventh commandment. That is what sexual abusers do, for example. They especially do a lot of damage. And such damage stays with the abused person for the rest of her and sometimes his life. It makes it very difficult for a young woman who has been sexually abused to become the beautiful flower that God wants her to be. With God's grace, of course, everything is possible, but it is a very painful process, a constant one. It's also painful for the husband of the sexually abused woman. She needs a gentle and loving touch and understanding and patience. And not all husbands are up to that task. Because of sin, marriage is a fragile institution. And it needs not only to be protected, but also to be maintained. It is easily damaged and needs 
constant reparation. We come to the third point. It is not so that you can build a garden where all the flower beds are in the right places and where the grass is green and lush and where all the flowers are arranged in the right spots and then think that it will stay that way. It will not. The garden needs constant tending. You have to remove the weeds. You have to mow the lawn. You have to trim the hedge. You have to dig out the plants that are diseased. You have to fertilize the garden and water it. And you have to prune those plants that are going wild or that are taking over the rest of the garden or the flower bed. That is constant work. It's also hard work. But you also need the right tools in order to be able to do the job. And the garden also needs the proper amount of moisture and sunshine. It needs the right kind of atmosphere. Once again, the same thing is true of marriage. It is not so that once you are married and you have a beautiful and loving relationship, that then it will just stay like that on its own. No, for marriage to flourish, you constantly need to be at work at it. For one thing, pruning is necessary. Husbands and wives have to do that for themselves and for each other. And it has to be done in a careful and loving way. Or else you would do a lot of damage. And by pruning, I mean that you have to help each other get rid of bad habits and wrong ways of relating. Fertilizer is also needed within marriage. In other words, you have to nourish your relationship. How do you do that? You do that through kindness and consideration and love. You do that by speaking words of love. You do that by building each other up. And once again, that is not just a one-time thing, but a constant thing. You constantly have to build each other up with kind and encouraging words. That's how the Lord God nourishes and builds you up. Time and again you hear from God's word and from the pulpit that God loves you. Not because you are such a beautiful person, but only because God is the God of love. He has promised to love you, and he keeps that promise. When you are married, love is not an option. Love is not a feeling. Love is not something you receive. Love is something you give. Love is a command. You have to love. Even when your partner is not so lovable at certain times. You have to love. Even when he or she is old and disabled and no longer the man or the woman he or she used to be. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. And so this commandment is for everybody, for all ages, also for the elderly couples in our midst. You have to constantly tend your garden. And once you have taken out all the weeds and maintained the flower beds, then the garden becomes easier to maintain. It becomes hard work only once you have let it all go. Then it takes a lot of doing to get it into the right shape again. And so it is better to keep on working at it. It's not as much work. And you'll enjoy the garden much more. And it's not something 
that you have to do with your bare hands. In other words, it's not something that you have to do without tools. In order to maintain your marriage, God gives you lots of useful and essential tools. Do you know what those tools are? They're the tools of the Holy Spirit, such as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And the Lord God gives you also the wonderful tool of the forgiveness of sins. That is one of His greatest tools. For He gives you the tool of the forgiveness of sins through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died in spite of your sins. He loves you that much. And you have to love like He loves. And you have to forgive like He forgives. You may not keep a record of wrongs, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. As I said, a garden needs both rain and sunshine. But rain does not come without clouds. And sometimes the rain comes with storms. A storm can do a lot of damage to a garden. Well, it can also get stormy in your marriage. Damage gets done then as well. But then again, God puts you to work. You have to to remove the debris and to undo the damage. And in order to accomplish that, you have to pick up all the tools that God has given to you. You have to learn to forgive again, to be patient, to be kind and gentle. As I said, the forgiveness of sins is one of the greatest tools that God gives you. The wonderful thing is that God forgives you, first of all. No doubt... There are some of you, many of you, in the pews feeling somewhat guilty. Some of you have engaged in premarital sex, others in extramarital sex, or in pornography. There is not a person here who is without sin with regard to the seventh commandment. But do you know what our, what our comfort is, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, and that includes you, teenagers? There is forgiveness for this as long as you repent as long as you are sorry for your sins as long as you do your utmost not to fall into those sins again as long as you do not want to live in those sins and then God will not hold those sins against you God is a loving God if that were not so we could not have a relationship with him And the same thing is true of marriage. Without the forgiveness of sins, you cannot have a good marriage relationship. Brothers and sisters, enjoy your garden. In other words, enjoy your partner. The teacher says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9, Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days. But also remember that God will hold you responsible. He will hold you responsible how you treat your husband or your wife. He will hold you responsible for the way you use his beautiful gift of sex. At the end of this book, the teacher says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed in judgment, 
including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And so this includes the things you do in secret. God is good. He gives us much enjoyment, even in this life full of sin and misery. Give thanks to him with your soul, but also with your body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit.